right, this is my service, 11 o'clock. I come to 11 o'clock. I am not a morning person, so I'm excited. Uh, Y'all are probably wondering who is this 16-year-old up here. I am 26. I have a wife and a daughter, okay? I know I can pass for a high schooler, but it happens all the time. When I I used to work for Campbell's University, they would come up to me and they would say, hey, what sport do you play? And this is, you know, out of college, when I was out of college. And I would say, oh, I'm the resident director. I'm the one who's in charge of the dorms. And they would, like, make fun of me and stuff. And, yeah, so anyways, um, I'm not another high schooler, just so you know. So today we're talking about hungering for more of God and why it's important, how to develop that, okay? Now, how many of you are hungry for more of God? Raise your hand if you are. All right, put your hands down. How many of you, you might not be, but you would like to be hungry for God? Okay, be honest. So you would like to be hungry for more of God. All right, so if you didn't raise your hand to any one of those, you probably have no clue what I mean by when I say hungry for God. And if you do know what I mean, you didn't raise your hand to any one of those, you're probably comfortable in complacency with your Christianity. So my goal today is to try to stir you up and try to give you tips on what is hunger and how to get to that place of you hunger and you thirst for the Lord. You pursue the Lord. You want more of God's a healthy place to be. If you don't have a hunger for the Lord, then what are you hungering for? There's things that you can hunger for. Two weeks ago, my friend Jordan Nucitelli, uh, she goes, has anyone heard of Jesus Image? It's a ministry in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. So my friend goes to the ministry school there called Jesus Image and she texted me, actually, she actually sent me an audio message on her iPhone. And she said, Fontes, I woke up from my dream and I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you, you need to meditate and dive into Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And so after that audio message, I texted her back and I said, shut up, because <laughs> she didn't even know that that was the message I was going to preach two weeks from then. And so you know, I don't know what it's going to happen, but, you know, I'm expecting, I'm glad that uh, that happened. So, yeah, let's see what God is up to. Let's go ahead and read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. This, uh, what I'm reading from is the New King James Version, just so you guys who have phones know that you can turn to that translation. All right, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And seeing the multitudes, he, meaning Jesus, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, what we just read is the beginning of Jesus' famous sermon on the mount. Okay, it's Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and then he goes all the way through chapter 7, and he ends in chapter 8. So at the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, he comes down from the mountain. 5, 1, he comes up the mountain. 
chapter 8, verse 1, he comes down the mountain. So he spends three chapters talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm just going to only take three hours today with you guys since Jesus took three chapters. And then we'll be out of here. Then you can get your Cracker Barrel or Wendy's or whatever you're hungry for. But right now we're just going to hunger and thirst for the Lord. So let's go ahead and just dive into it. Now, beatitude comes from the Latin word beatudo. Okay, that means blessedness. The definition of blessedness, divine joy and supreme happiness, meaning it could only come from a divine being. It can only come from the Lord, divine joy and supreme happiness. Now, whenever you see Jesus says blessed, it's the Greek word makarios, and that is supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, and happy. Okay? Happy. Now, every time that we just read one of those, blessed are those, blessed are the, what Jesus is essentially saying is happy are those, or happy are the, happy are the poor in spirit, happier the peacemakers, happier those who hunger and thirst. You know, he's saying pretty much happy. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. So imagine that in verse 11. Just look at this real quick. Like, be happy. What a joy it is whenever they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Or, oh, isn't it such a joy? You should rejoice, exceeding glad, for great is your reward for the persecuted the prophets. So he's saying, don't worry, be happy about these things. Now, we're just going to camp in verse 6 this morning. I would love to expound on all the rest of them and exegete the scripture and everything, but we're just going to talk about hunger this morning. Is that okay? We're just going to camp in verse 6 and talk about hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Okay, now, for those, again, if you're eating Cracker Barrel or Panera Bread or wherever after this, you know... Everyone knows what hunger and thirst means. When you hunger for something, you desire to eat food. Whenever you thirst for something, it's a feeling or need to drink something. Okay, now in the context of Matthew 5, 6, it's talking about having a strong desire or craving for something. To have a strong desire or craving for something. Now, Jesus was saying to have a strong desire and craving for what? Righteousness. Okay, what is righteousness? To be justified to be in right standing or relationship with the Lord, to be in alignment with God, okay? So I love whenever preachers, they say, justified means just if I had never blank, right? So justified never cheated, just if I had never cussed, just if I had never did this, that, just if I had never sinned. So the atonement justifies you to be in right alignment, right relationship with the Lord. Hunger and thirst to be right with God. What's the reward of this? You'll be what? Filled. You can talk to me. I, I, I taught classes a little bit at Camelsville, so I'm like used to people, you know, interacting. So you will be filled. Now, some of your translations say satisfied. I like filled better than satisfied because how many of you know you can eat something and you say, you know what? That was a good meal, some good steak right there. I'm satisfied. But you can eat steak, collard greens, corn, get some banana pudding afterwards, and you say, I'm full, all right? So there's a difference between being only satisfied and being full. So full is containing or holding as much or as many as possible, having no empty space. This water bottle right here, you know, I have taken probably a sip, but for the most part, 
This is how, you probably can't see this, but this is how full it pretty much was. Now, is it actually full, though? You can talk. No, no, it's not really actually full because does it have empty space in it at the top? Yeah. So it's not technically full. Now, how do you measure something to know that it's actually full? Overflow. By the overflow of it. And so whenever you hunger and thirst to be right with the Lord, he gives you more than enough. He actually makes you full to the point where you overflow. Amen? Amen. All right, how many of you guys have ever heard, you thought, or you said this statement before? It's okay. Yeah, right? There's, now, if you're eight years old, I hope you haven't said this, but, you know, mostly, if you're going through some type of life, uh, there has got to be more than life to this, okay? Or you've been to a certain church, and you think, wow, there's got to be more than Christianity or more to just going to church than what I'm currently experiencing. There has got to be more to life than this. So there's two types of hungry people. Number one was that, is there has got to be more. There's got to be more. The second one is, I want more. The first one is wondering or searching. They are desiring. They're like, okay, what is this more? I know there's more out there, but there's got to be it. And then the second one is craving what they've already tasted. The Bible says, taste and see. Can you finish it? That the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So one is searching. There's got to be more. And the other one has tasted and seen the goodness of God, and they want more of the goodness of God. The goal is to try to get you from there's got to be more to I want more. So this timer isn't ticking. I guess I really do have three hours. That's good. All right. <laughs> I was looking at it the first service. Okay. So um, to get you from there's got to be more to I want more. All right. Have you ever seen one of these hungry Christians? Do you know someone like this? Okay. This is how they look like. Number one, they're tired of playing church. And they want the real thing. Oh, yeah, they're tired of playing church. They want the real thing. Fontes, what do you mean by tired of playing church? Well, they're tired of coming into church and going through the motions, putting on a face, putting on an outfit, and leaving the same way they came in. They're tired of getting around a community and acting like things are okay, but really your world is falling apart. They're tired of coming in and putting on a form of godliness but denying its power. They want the real thing. They don't come to church just to come to church, but they come for a wedding reception. They come to see heaven on earth. Church should be a wedding reception if we are the bride of Christ. Amen? Amen. They come to see heaven on earth. So these are the hungry Christians. These are the people who this is what it looks like. Number two, they love to pray together and have Bible study together with others. If, if you don't know this man, Jokey over here, if you don't know Adrian, uh, they are going to pray for you, all right? Hungry people, they love to pray with each other. They love to have Bible study with each other. Anytime you get around them, they're going to quote some scripture, and they're not being religious. It's just in them, and it comes out of them, and they love to pray with people. Number two, three, they find opportunities to increase in the knowledge of God and in the presence of God. So these aren't people who come to church or go to conferences just to get a nice buzz, a good fuzzy feeling. They actually go to receive an impartation and they leave differently. They go 
to increase in the knowledge of God and in the presence of God because they know that they will be filled based on their hunger and their thirst. Their heart is tender so the word of God can land on good soil and reap a harvest. Number four, they love evangelism and outreach. All right, who's my, who's my witnessing people? I know my boy Ryan is here this morning. So these people, I mean, they can't get enough of it. They love to witness. They will preach the gospel to a cat, um, a cockroach. I mean, they love to witness to people. They also love outreach, you know. They love to go on mission trips. They love anything they can do to see God move. Number five, simply they're addicted to Jesus. Hungry Christians, they are addicted to Jesus. They love the secret place. All they need is him. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you finish it? I shall not I shall not want. So they're not driven by temporary things. They're driven by eternity because they have been reconciled to the Father and they have a love for the Father. They're addicted to Jesus. So we can go now because now all you know is what a hungry Christian looks like and that's uh, what we got to get to, okay? But I will get, I'll, I'll give you some um, directions on how we can all get there, how we can all steward this and fan the flame, all right? Here's some benefits of hungering and thirsting for more of God. What does it say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Yes. You will be filled. Now, in John 7, 37-39, I'm going to read this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Has the Holy Spirit been given now? Yes, God has poured out his Spirit, so that whenever you become a believer, you receive his Spirit, and you live by his Spirit, or you ought to live by his Spirit. I want you to imagine this real quick. Get this imagery flowing real quick, okay? Now, if you, you know, for the big family people, whether you're a Nelson or a Satterwhite or a Calicot, you have five to 55 kids. You know, you imagine this real quick. You're at this great feast and, you know, someone stands up and there's Kool-Aid or there's tea or Sprite, whatever you're drinking. You already got drinks and someone stands up and says, if anyone thirsts, and you're like, just get the pitcher from the kitchen or something, you know, so like, Jesus was so passionate. It says he was talking about the Spirit. Think about that. Get that picture in your head. He's at a feast. There's food and water. And he says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. He was always setting his mind on things above rather than beneath. You will be filled. Number two, you will experience Holy Spirit's power. Here's another benefit. You will experience the power of Holy Spirit. Now, I want to angle this on grace real quick, okay? Do you know God's grace? God's grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's the gift of salvation through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. Did you do anything to earn salvation? No. After you've earned salvation, it says faith without works is dead. But it's the grace through faith that gets you reconciled back to Jesus. Not only to heaven, but reconciled to the Father. 
Jesus came to reveal the Father, not just to get you to heaven. He came to point you back to the Father. So it's the gift of salvation. Also, it doesn't just stay right there, though. Grace also empowers you to live a life free of sin, free in the Holy Spirit, full of God, full of the Holy Spirit. His divine grace empowers you to live like Jesus lived. So, number two, you will experience the Holy Spirit's power as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you are filled with his righteousness, you will receive his grace. You know, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, explode through people who hunger and thirst for alignment with the Lord. You will receive his grace. Number three, you will influence others for Jesus. I'm going to talk about influencing others three times this morning. This is the second time. You will influence others for Jesus. How many of you have seen The Chosen, or you're watching it right now? Lindsay and I were behind on it, so we've been binge-watching it, and uh, we're on episode two of season two right now, and uh, we watched about three or four of them last night. Uh, Episode eight, uh, wasn't that powerful of the first season? My goodness, it was really cool. So if you haven't noticed this, pay attention now. You won't be able to get this out of your mind whenever you watch The Chosen, but at the introduction, that's a teal fish going against the gray fishes. Okay? That represents Jesus. This is at the introduction, the beginning of, of The Chosen. I had to point this out to Lindsay. I said, dude, look at this. So the fishes begin to change. They begin to change colors, and they go against the other fishes. And then they multiply, and they begin to have more. And so that is the kingdom, is you will influence others, and you're going to turn the hearts of the wicked into the hearts of love towards the Father. Now, 2017, I mentioned this to my youth all the time. As, as, uh, and you'll know, the more we get to know each other, my awakening was in 2017. I was a lukewarm Christian. I had some adult leaders over my house a few days ago, and I told them, you know, in college, uh, I remember going to parties and all that stuff, and then I would come to college and, you know, put on a, another front. So after college, I began to work for Dish Network, and I was a door-to-door salesman, the people that you guys hate. So I remember knocking on doors, and there was a time I had a gun pulled out on me. Um, I mean, it was just crazy. I, I used to put on these fake glasses to try to look my, make myself look less intimidating. And, you know, I play football, but I am a five-foot-whatever guy. Like, I'm not intimidating. I hope I'm not. And, but, you know, I would just knock on a door and... I get that same old typical answer. I knock on the door, they open their door, and I say, and they just say, not interested, and slam it in my face. Don't do that, man. You know, appreciate, you know share the gospel with them or something. Pray for them. So I was a salesman, and I learned how to not fear rejection from that. If you want to know how to get over rejection, knock on doors and try to sell some knives or vacuum cleaners, whatever they be doing nowadays. So the thing was, I remember after that season, I realized, you know, I was a salesman for Dish Network, and I know how to overcome rejection. I can be a salesman for Christ. And it wasn't that I was selling Jesus. It was I was giving Jesus. And so I began to knock on doors. I began to go to Walmart. Uh, I began to just go places. And if I got rejected for the gospel, it was a lot better than getting rejected for a television provider. So be a salesman for the Lord. You will influence others for Jesus. Do you all know this person? If you don't, his name is Reinhard Bunke. He passed away, was about a year or two ago. 
he witnessed over 79 million converts to Christianity in his lifetime. That's the most in history. 79 million converts to Christianity. And this was a hungry man. This was a hungry man for the things of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you have to be like Ron Hart Bunky, but you never know where your life can take you if you're obedient to him. You could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be a mechanic. You could be a nurse. You can be a doctor, a teacher, whatever. But if you obey the Lord and you're hungry for the ways of the Lord, he will use you mightily and influence and impact others for his kingdom. Amen. All right. Now, how do you develop spiritual hunger? Here's some tips. I'm going to give you eight points on how you can get to this place. If you raise your hand, you say, you know, I would like to be hungry for the Lord. Uh, I'm just not there. You know, I just honestly don't really have a desire for the things of the kingdom. Well, here's how you can build that. Number one, stop feeding yourself on things that take away spiritual hunger. Okay. Two weeks ago, Ryan West killed it. He talked about grieving the Holy Spirit, meaning you hurt his heart. Okay, he's a person who lives inside of you, and you grieve the Holy Spirit. 2017, um, years ago, I remember listening to a preacher. He's changed my life. I love him. His name's Dan Moeller. And I remember listening to him on YouTube, and he said this phrase. He said, God loves living inside of me. God loves living inside of me. And I remember thinking on that, and I asked the question to myself, does God love living inside of me? Or do I grieve him? And I just had this image at the time whenever I heard him say that. And it reminded me of the old house I used to live in. You know, it was kind of filthy. It had roaches everywhere. And I remember thinking, I did not like living there. And then it made me think, wow, I think that's how Holy Spirit feels about living inside of me. That he's not comfortable. And so what are you doing that makes the Holy Spirit feel uncomfortable And what are you doing that makes him feel glad to be able to function and operate inside of you? What are you doing to grieve the Holy Spirit? He hit on that already. Now, I'm not going to stick on it. Um, You know, here's one that, you know, all of us probably deal with or have dealt with, and the Lord has to deliver us from it, is gossip and slander. Ryan talked about that. This will quench the fire. This will quench your hunger for the Lord. If you feed yourself on the juiciest stories lately, if you feed yourself on who's saying what, um, because you're so mindful of the things of what's going on horizontally, it'll distract you of what should be happening vertically. Now, there's also things that aren't sins, and you can just give yourself to it too much. That can take away your spiritual hunger if you don't have the proper balance. You know, TV, video games. I actually have a PlayStation 4, but I don't play it near as much as I used to. It was actually a quarantine purchase. You know, those buys whenever COVID hit, and you're like, well, might as well get something. We got a recliner. We got a PlayStation. Yeah, there's different things that we, you know. So social media. You know, here's a serious one, though. Work. You can feed yourself on so much work and never take a Sabbath that it takes away your spiritual appetite for God. Just like that picture we just got unseen. There's got to be more life to this. Now, here's the difference between quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, you hurt his heart. When you quench the Holy Spirit, you disobey, and you don't fan into the flame what he's given you. Okay? 
So if God has told you to give a word to someone, I remember months ago, uh, Lady Courtney, she, she never, she didn't know who I was. I was sitting over here, and after service, she came up to me. She said, you know, I got a word for you, and she was really nice. I said, yeah, go ahead. And she said, I just feel like you have a calling for ministry and something else. And I said, how long have you been going here? And she said, about three weeks. And she had no clue. I said, you know, I'm the youth pastor here. She said, no. <laughs> so um, she obeyed the Lord. She did not quench the Holy Spirit. You know, in the natural, you probably look like a fool for a moment, whether you're right or wrong, but God will come through, and sometimes he'll make you look like a genius, but it's for his kingdom. So don't quench the Holy Spirit. If you play an instrument, whatever you do, whatever God has given you, steward it, fan into the flame the gift of God that he's given you. That's the difference between quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. Quenching, have y'all seen the Gatorade commercials? Remember that? Quench the thirst is a Gatorade, right? Yeah, so... Quench means to put out or extinguish. You can quench the fire of God, the hunger of God. Number two, here's another tip. Feed yourself with the word of God. Feed yourself with the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen, if the Word of God is alive enough to divide the soul, your mind, will, and emotions from your spirit, the things that connect you to the spiritual realm, it's alive enough to awaken a fire in you and to quicken your spirit to the things of the Lord. Now, whenever you read the Bible, have you all ever heard of the term, I'm not talking about the book, but uh, the, the term revelation, Okay. You do know what it means whenever someone gets a revelation, receives a revelation. That means the uncovering or unveiling. Okay, this isn't in your notes, but to receive a revelation is to have an uncovering or unveiling. Meaning, I'm reading the scriptures, but all of a sudden something pops out and I see beyond the text of what the Holy Spirit breathed on. And so whenever you receive a revelation, it brings you revitalization, meaning... New life and fresh vitality. Get into the scriptures. Feed yourself with the word of God. Be addicted to the word of God so that you can receive new life, fresh vitality from the breath of God. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't have a desire to read the Bible. It's boring to me. I don't like it. Here's the thing. If you've ever been on a diet, if you ever uh, went to the gym and had a workout plan, a routine, or whatever, is it fun at the beginning? Absolutely not. Yeah, someone said that. Heck no. All right, it's not fun in the beginning. It's just really not. Um, I used to play football at Campbell's University, and I can tell you right now, I do not work out as near as much as I used to because it's hard to get back in it. But once you start and you get a momentum, then you start seeing results happen, and then you have a desire to continue to do it. So sometimes you don't have the desire, but your discipline will make the desire. Your discipline will make the desire. And so I'm just hitting on this for the Word of God because the Word of God is your source for so much into the kingdom of God. If you can tap into the Word of God and you begin to develop a discipline and read it every day, then you eventually have a desire and you'll be addicted to it and you can't get enough of it. Amen? Number three, repentance. Repentance. Repentance in the Greek, it's the word metanoia, and that means to change the way you think, to change your mind. Okay, change the way you think, change your mind. Now, I'm going to read a scripture in Acts 3, 19 through 20, 
But you have to know what it really means in the Greek because, you know, a lot of people will say repentance means to turn away from sin, and they are correct. But it means foundationally to change the way you think. Because if I'm committing a sin and I just turn away from it, I can just turn right back to it, right? But if I'm committing a sin and I turn away from it and I change the way I think, when I turn, try to turn back to it, I'm going to think differently about it and I'm going to turn towards righteousness. So repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Do you want times of refreshing? Repent, turn from your sin, change the way you think about sin. This happened to me whenever I read Romans chapter 6. Do you know what Romans chapter 6 is? If you don't, I encourage you to read it. And read it with the lens and the perspective of heaven. Read all scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. When I read Romans chapter 6 years ago, again, I used to be a very lukewarm Christian. I would go to parties, I would do this, I struggled with lust, and then I would come to college and you know, hang out with all my Christian friends and all that. And, you know, wouldn't do all those things. When I read Romans chapter 6, and the Holy Spirit revealed to me, it's very plain, but how many know you can read the scripture, and it's very plain, it's very straightforward, and you still won't get it. You still won't understand what it's saying. You still won't understand that it's piercing you because your heart is hardened. So I remember reading this one day. It talks about being free from sin, not being a slave to sin, but being a slave to righteousness. I remember reading that and I thought, my goodness, my whole life I've been taught that you're going to continue to sin. You're going to mess up no matter what. It's okay. Like we all do it. Read Romans chapter 6. I just encourage you to read it. Grace doesn't give you a license to sin. It empowers you to live free in Jesus Christ. So whenever I began to read that, the revelation of the scripture gave me revitalization, gave me new life, fresh vitality, and I began to walk in freedom. And here's the thing, you can do the same thing. I don't say it as a preacher who stands up here. I don't say it because I have to or anything like that. I say it as a testimony that you can walk in freedom no matter what your sin is, whatever, what you've committed, whatever your past has told you, you can receive freedom. This is what happened to me. I repented from my sin and the word came alive to me, and I began to walk it out. It's very true. Number four, ask God to give you an appetite for more. Ask him to give you an appetite for more. Now, this is one of Jesus' promises he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, I love the scriptures, and we have to read it in its whole entirety, okay? Because you'll read this, and you'll say, man, I need some new J's. Okay, you say, you'll give it to me, Lord. So uh, I'm talking about Jordans for y'all shoes. So um, <laughs> some of y'all didn't get that, my bad. So, uh, he, you know, or, or you might want a new, um, I don't know, earring or Lamborghini. I don't know. So, you know, people will take the scripture and they'll say, God, he said, well, ask, you know, hey, give it to me. No, 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 no. Read the book of James as well. It says you have because you don't ask, but the next part says, will you ask with the wrong motives? What is your motive behind what you're asking? 
you will never have a wrong motive if you ask for righteousness. You know what Matthew 6.33 says? Seek first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. And then these things will be added unto you. So if you're aligned with heaven's will, if you're aligned with what God thinks, his thoughts, then you'll begin to walk in his ways. Recognize Holy Spirit as your helper. He's the one that's here with you on earth that can help you into the greater things of the Lord. I love that nickname of the Holy Spirit is he's the helper. He helps you guide you into all things. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He will help you out and to become more like Jesus Christ. All right, number five, how to develop spiritual hunger. Expose yourself to the move of the Holy Spirit. Expose yourself to the move of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you have ever heard this uh, phrase right here? Curiosity killed the cat. Okay? If you haven't, this is what it means. You know, cats are weird. Okay? So they, I have a dog. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Lindsay wants a kitten because her dad is raising these kittens, and they're cute. But the thing is, they eventually turn into cats, so you just can't kick the cat out. Like, you know, it's, yeah. But um, curiosity killed the cat because cats are you know, always in people's business, and they do weird stuff. I remember growing up, and I didn't ever own any cats, but my friend had a cat, and I remember sleeping, and sure enough, this cat's just running across my face. I'm thinking, why? You know, it's weird. So, curiosity killed the cat, meaning mind your own business, okay? Mind your own business. Now, on the flip side, in the kingdom, curiosity kills the flesh. When you're curious about the things of what God is up to, the Bible says, set your mind on things above, not what? Beneath. Set your mind on things above. Set your thoughts on heavenly thoughts, not on temporary things. Have an eternal perspective versus a temporary perspective. So if you want to die to the flesh and live by the Spirit, set your mind on things above, not beneath. It kills the flesh. All right? Curiosity in the kingdom kills the flesh. Curiosity on earth, it kills the cat. Now, this man of God said this to me a few weeks ago, uh, worship leads you into wonder. Do you know what it means to behold the Lamb? And get around the move of the Holy Spirit to behold Jesus whenever you worship Him. Now, I mentioned Jesus' image. I went to the conference last December. They were expecting probably five to 8,000 people. Well, 20,000 showed up during you know, all this COVID stuff. And it was powerful. I remember me and my friend, Braden Russell, uh, we stood in line two hours just to get some pizza. So we get some pizza, and we finally sit back in where the worship is going on. And they, they were singing this old gospel song, Now Behold the Lamb. Anyone know that song? You do? Okay, good, yeah. Now, okay, I ain't going to sing it. But it was, it was such a good song, and I thought, man, because I, you know, I, I grew up in a black Baptist church, and I haven't heard that song in so long. I thought, man, this is a good song. And then I just started meditating on the scriptures as I'm eating pizza, and I was sitting down in this chair. And I, actually, Sam and Aubrey were with me, and Aubrey was sitting right beside me. I remember eating this pizza, and I started crying, and it wasn't the pizza. So I, I look over at her, and I said, I look so pitiful, you know, like eating this pizza and crying. But I was touched by the Lord because that day I learned something. I left with something. I didn't just go to a conference just for a feel-good. I literally learned what it meant to behold Jesus to look at him in his beauty, in his entirety, you know? There's, I wasn't going to hang on this, I need to get going, but there's four living creatures 
that surround the throne of God. They're one that looks like a lion, one that looks like an ox, one that looks like an eagle, one that has the face of a man. They circle around his throne. You know what they cry day and night? Yeah, holy. Corey Russell, he says, pretty much what they're saying is we've never seen anything like this. And they do that for eternity. We've never seen anything like this. He's the ancient of days. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. I mean, this is God. He's the creator. I mean, Jehovah, they've never seen anything like this. And so I learned how to behold Jesus in his beauty and his majesty and say, wow, you're so good. Even in the midst of eating this pizza, like, wow, I can behold the lamb. So get around the move of the Holy Spirit. Number six, expose yourself to those whom God is greatly using. All right, I tell the youth this. I say, get around people who have greater faith than you do. Have you heard of this t- statistic? You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. All right, that, that awakened me when I first heard that. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So get around people who have a greater hunger than you so they can lift you up into the greater things of the Lord. Number six, Expose yourself to those whom God is greatly using. Okay? Number seven, hope I'm not moving too fast, is fasting. All right? I'm going to take you to a scripture here in Matthew 4 4. This is Jesus. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you know who he said that to? You can talk to me. Yeah. Satan. Do you know what he was doing, why he said this to him? He was fasting. 40 days, he was fasting. Now, he was led, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil said, turn this stone into bread. And that's when Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but everywhere that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so whenever you fast, you suppress the things of the natural, you begin to walk in the things of the supernatural. And that natural obedience brings a spiritual reward and it awakens your hunger for the Lord. Another tip is fasting. All right, number eight. I'm wrapping up soon. Do something for Jesus. I told you I would talk about influencing others for Jesus. This is the third time. Do something for Jesus if you want that hunger to start building up inside of you, that fire to start raising. In John four thirty four, it says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said this, you know the context of the story? The woman at the well. After Jesus has a conversation with the lady at the well, his disciples come up to him and they say, Rabbi, eat something. And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And I like the way he said it, like, I got something that you know nothing about. But I have food that you know nothing about. And they begin to inquire amongst one another and they say, like, who gave him food? And that's when he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's why whenever you go on a mission trip, that's why whenever you witness to someone, whenever you love on someone, you just feel refreshed. It's because you're doing the will of heaven. You are getting spiritual food over the natural. So do something for Jesus. Okay? Now, when you serve someone else with the love of God, you partner with God and become more like Christ. That's like if you drink enough alcohol and it's a consistent thing and you're addicted to it, you become a what? Alcoholic. If you steal a lot, you steal stuff, steal enough, you become a what? 
become a thief. What about if you play a lot of video games, whether you're good or not, you become a gamer. Yeah. Think about the Word of God. If you not only hear the Word, the Bible says, don't be just a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word, you become more like the Word. You become more like Jesus, and you partner with Jesus. Okay, so do something for the Lord, and that's how you can awaken that spiritual hunger. I got three stories for you, and then we're going to pray, and we're just going to ask the Lord to fill us with His Spirit. So, have you heard of the story in Mark chapter 10, Blind Bartimaeus? A few weeks ago, I was at Lincoln Algada's house, and, you know, it was a Tuesday. He had some young men over, and I remember us reading Mark chapter 10 is towards the end of those scriptures. And uh, my translation, the New King James Version, it said blind Bartimaeus. Now the ESV, NASB, other translations, you know, they would say something like a blind man and his name was Bartimaeus. But I didn't know it because I was just reading it from the translation that I had. And, you know, we're all talking about this. We're all discussing it. And all of a sudden I just get Bartimaeus' perspective and it began to touch me, and I try not to cry because you know, there was other young men in the room, but um, I remember just reading this scripture, and I thought, wow, uh, the way they translated it, blind Bartimaeus, like that's, that, you know, I thought, I just related to it. I said, man, that's so messed up. You know, people have labeled him based on his shortcoming, based on something he can't control based on a disease, like people have labeled some of you based on something that you can or cannot control. And whenever Jesus and the people began to walk, Bartimaeus was sitting alongside the road and he cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Meaning, have compassion on me. Have compassion on me. Have mercy on me. Well, they try to hush him. They try to hush him. And he cries out again, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they continue to try to hush him. And do you know what happens next? Jesus waves him. He says, hey, bring him here. So they come and get the man. Jesus asks, what is it that you may want? He says, that I might receive my sight. Well, Jesus heals him, and blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Because he didn't just receive his sight. It said that he followed him with the crowd as well. And so God gives you more than enough. A few weeks ago, I was talking with Katie Simmons. And she told me a story about how Pastor Steve took her to Danville. Um, this was years ago. Took her to a church in Danville where there was a service going on. She doesn't even remember the church. She doesn't remember the preacher. But she just remembers the impact. She felt like the Lord told her to go there because she had a hip issue, and if she went, that God would heal her from the hip issue. Well, she goes down there, and she got healed of the hip issue, and to this day, she hasn't dealt with, you know, the problem. And as I'm talking to her about this, she said, yeah, you know, I went because the Lord told me to, you know, I would get my hip healed, and sure enough, she got her hip healed. But not only that, uh, she said that she got filled with the Holy Spirit and later on received her prayer language. And so that is overflow. He doesn't just heal you, but he fills you. He gives you an infilling along with the healing. In John 17, Jesus 
you get a glimpse of his prayer life. You get to see what he's praying. You know, it often says that he went beside a mountain to pray. And in John 17, before he gets arrested, he, you can actually see what he's praying. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for all believers. When he prays for the believers, he prays that we would all be one as he and the Father are one. And we would be one in him as he and the Father are one. And that the Father would be one in us. Well, you know what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost? Whenever 120 believers were in one accord in the upper room, and they waited and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, 3,000 souls were converted to Christianity that day, and that was the birth of the church. And so, worship team, you can go ahead and begin to come up here. You know, my wife, she went to a certain denominational church uh, years ago, and I remember whenever I had my awakening with the Lord in 2017, I began to grow in the things of God. And because of my hunger and my thirst and my change in my life, it happened with her as well. And, you know, they taught some things that were different in their church. Uh, I know COS, you know, their doctrine is way different. And uh, long story short, she began to just like explode and, and, and the things of the Lord. And uh, I'll, I'll give a quick story and I'll pray. But I remember, you know, I ordered books and all this stuff. I would just watch these preachers to like 3 or 4 a.m. at night just because I was so hungry for more of God. And I wanted to learn what am I seeing in the Bible is not happening in my life. So something's not right. And so whenever I began to see other people operate and what the scriptures say that we can function in, things started happening. So one day, Lindsay and I are talking about this story about Walmart, and my friend leaves, and it's just Lindsay and I left, and she says, you know, whenever you were talking about Walmart, this name Katie popped up into my head. And I said, oh, well, let's go to Walmart. You know, I ain't scared of rejection, of course. So we go to Walmart, and it was the weirdest thing. This is whenever we lived in Harrodsburg. And so the uh, Walmart in Harrodsburg has a subway connected to it. We go there and we say, hey, we're just looking for a Katie. She said, yeah, well, there's a Katie who actually works here, but she works in the uh, Walmart division right now. So she might be there. I said, okay, yeah. So we didn't know what to do, obviously. We were just trying to not quench the spirit, just trying to obey. So we walk and Lindsay goes, there's a Katie. And she's like, I meant to say there's a female Walmart worker. Her name might be Katie. Let's just go see. And sure enough, we walk up. This is the first person she saw after the subway worker. She walks up to her. Sure enough, her name tag says Katie. And we're like, what do we do with this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, she just said, you know, I just want you to know that God sees you or you're Christian and all that. She was already saved. Uh, I think she was going through a tough time. And she prays for her. And then the lady beside her was like, that was awesome. And, you know, it was just like, we don't know what that was for, but I think God was just rewarding our hunger and our thirsting and our obedience. And so, can we all stand real quick? I know it's awkward whenever we start playing music and then people are like, who's the first person that's going to stand? You know, that, that whole thing. Um, so I want you to go ahead and stand. As we begin to just worship, uh, there's always people here that will pray for you. If you are hungry for more of God, then praise the Lord. If you are not, and maybe you've quenched the Spirit, maybe you've grieved the Holy Spirit, and you just need to be touched by God, 
then you don't have to come to the altar, but the altar is a place of sacrifice where you come and give yourself in surrender to the Lord. So if you need to do that, come and step forward and give yourself to the Lord. If you don't even know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, I advise that you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to be in alignment with God. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to connect you to God, to reconcile you to the Father. And so if you're hungry and you're thirsty, God will not only touch you, but he'll fill you to the point of overflow. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you in Jesus' name, Father, for touching your people this morning. God, I pray for a mighty anointing. God, I pray that you would answer questions. God, I pray that you would give direction. Father, I pray that you would just set your path in people's feet, God. Father, I pray that you would just fill those who are hungry, who are hungry for a move of your spirit, who are hungry for righteousness. Father, you promised us that we would be filled, not only satisfied, but we would be filled. So, Father, we're asking for an awakening in our soul, in our spirit. God, I pray that you would revive our hearts. God, I pray that you would set us free from sin. It's our responsibility to turn away, but, Father, we give you the confidence in your grace to help change our mind. So, Father, I ask that you would bring us fresh life, fresh vitality. Show us how to repent. Show us how to turn towards you and live for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
that you would touch your people. God, we just ask that you would stretch out your hand and release your anointing. Father, we pray that you would release healing. God, we pray that you would mend every broken heart in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would provide your provision. God, I ask that you would touch hearts, tenderize hearts, break open hardened hearts this morning. People who've hardened their hearts against you, God. People who've backslidden. People who've gone astray, Father God. You lead the 99 and come to the one. And Father, I just pray for hips and necks and backs and elbows, God. I just pray for even diseases to get out in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that when people leave this room, they'll be surprised. God, we hunger and we thirst for revival. God, we cry out for a move and awakening of your spirit. May we not come to church just to go to church, but may we come to see heaven invade earth. May we participate and not just spectate in your river. Father, we love you. Bring your love and your compassion and joy in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. If you still need prayer, you can come up. There's always people to pray with. Otherwise... Love you all. Have a good day.
for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.